Uh, and God's blessings on you. What do you say we talk real fast and, um, and see what the book of Jeremiah has to say to us tonight? Is that okay? Be turning in your Bibles to Jeremiah 27, in which we, Israel is coming to know the Lord. They had not listened to him, and they would gotten to the point where they didn't know the Lord their God. This is what we've been seeing throughout. Um, I don't know what the classes from the back know about Jeremiah. They have a decent teacher. But thanks for joining us this evening. We've been noticing especially the idea that God is trying to reach his people again and again, trying to reach out by any means possible. And he's not reaching his people. And so that will mean some correction and um, really outright destruction, unless they're willing to heed. And so even now at this late hour, we're going to see God willing to offer mercy to um, here, especially the king is addressed a lot. We've, we need to introduce a new king because when we were here last week, we were reading the words of Jeremiah to Jehoiakim. And that was toward concluding his reign in what we said last week. His son takes the throne for a very, very, well, not, not the throne, but is anointed as king for a very, very short period and barely makes it as a sliver on the timeline. Babylon has come upon the land and has installed Zedekiah, this is also a son of Josiah, as king. And you always wonder if uh, a new king and new leadership means a fresh start, that maybe things will be different than they had been um, these 20, 30 years since Josiah had been king. It's been a hard way to go for Jeremiah and for any, anyone who would listen. And so, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, let's hear what Jeremiah would have to say for the Lord to him. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord to me, and here it is, make for yourselves bonds and yokes. So just like an animal that's going to pull a heavy load, uh, put that on, put them on your neck, and this is going to be a sign. It's going to be a sign to all the nations, but especially it comes home to Zedekiah. And the Lord's message through Jeremiah is, I am the God of all the earth. I give it to whoever I wish, and for now, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant, and the whole earth is going to serve him. And he says something very strange, maybe, in that he tells all of the nations of the earth to serve him willingly. A difficult thing to, uh, to have to do, for sure. Serve the king of Babylon, verse 6. Now, I've given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. He's appointed this pagan foreign king as his servant. And he says, I've even given him the wild animals of the field to serve him. So you need to know that his dominion is complete. And you, for your part, need to, um, well, get in line. 
And because in verse 8, any nation or kingdom that will not serve him and will not put its neck under the yoke, willingly serve, I will punish that nation with sword, with famine, and with pestilence. Now, I want you to notice this is, this is a very plain, very simple message. And over the next few years, Jeremiah will be addressing Zedekiah on several occasions. I want you to just to see if there's any consistency in this message, or if somehow it, it can waffle or be changed or, you know, be, Jeremiah could be persuaded that the, the message could be something different other than that. Let's watch that. Um, and so, uh, we need to serve the king of Babylon. God has appointed him, and God requires obedience to him. And this, w- this is very serious. It's looking at the way of life and the way of death, which we'll see even more of later. But look at verse 12, okay? I spoke words like all of these to Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. His well-being, the people's well-being is tied to their obedience. And um, it's it's a persuasion uh, that Jeremiah is trying to put out there. Trying to persuade him, and we'll see this repeatedly. Serve him and live. And in this rhetorical question, in this kind of think it through. Think it through in verse 13. Why will you die, you and your people and your nation? Um, And God can appoint sword and famine and pestilence. And he certainly has appointed the king. Why would you choose to die when the Lord offers you the way to live. It's hard to see um, people continually going the other way. Well, what causes them to get sideways on this? It's a very simple message. Well, part of it is that others are saying, you don't need to do that. You don't need to serve him. So you're going to have relief and God's going to, it's going to be, his reign is going to be short-lived. Many of the people are saying that you shall not serve him, but the Lord is warning that it is a lie. And if you do not, you will die. I will drive you out and you will perish. And so these false words are gaining a lot of ground among the people, and it's making it very difficult for anyone to hear the true words of Jeremiah. He gets some reactions when he addresses, he's addressed the king. Now he's going to address the, the people and the, uh, the priests and some of the other religious leaders, right? What kind of reaction has he had when he's addressed them before? Well, it'll be the same here. Verse 16, I spoke to the priests and to all this people saying, this is what the Lord has said. Do not listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy to you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought again from Babylon, for they're prophesying a lie to you. They're giving this message of hope and of a a very, uh, you know, something that is a change of situation that's soon to come to pass. Um, But this homecoming that they're prophesying is, is false, 
And so let's compare the words of this false prophet as we continue through chapter 27 and then into chapter 28. The false words, and see the Lord um, denies and counters those with the, the true situation. The vessels of the Lord's house... So his, the king of Babylon will no longer have possession of those, and God is restoring his people. And that sounds good, and it sounds a little bit like some of what Jeremiah had to say. But there are several problems with the message. Um, for one, it is, it is causing a direct contradiction to what Jeremiah is saying. You need to serve him. You need to willingly surrender and serve. Um, on the other hand, Jeremiah addresses this and says, if you really are a prophet, there are some vessels you need to be praying about, but it's not the ones that have already gone away. <laughs> um, it's the ones that are still, still remain because they're still vulnerable. And he is going to carry those off as well. So pray that the rest aren't taken away. Don't say that the others are coming this way. And they are suggesting that these things are shortly going to come to pass. Um, that these, these vessels will now shortly be taken back. This, this bad situation you're in with, the, with Babylon coming against the land, short-lived. You're going to ride this out. You have strong walls and, and nothing to fear. Well... And Jeremiah will say, well, yes, they will be restored, but not after the rest of them are carried off and the time has come and the time is right. It's the Lord's timing. And it's not, well, not soon and not within the next uh, two years that we'll see in chapter 28. Uh, the rest of them, verse 22, will be carried to Babylon and they shall be there until the day I visit them. This is on the Lord's timing. It's by the Lord's action. Um, and then he says, then I'll bring them back and restore them to this place. So the words of the true prophet are that um, the, the time of restoration is not yet. Now, this yoke that Jeremiah is wearing as a symbol and has, has gone in front of all the people and said, this is the yoke you need, wear a yoke like this and serve the king of Babylon well, he, is, uh, he finds adver adversaries and opponents that want to deny this message. And so Hananiah, uh, the priest, is, thinks he can... Um, well, he thinks Jer Jeremiah is very dramatic. All of his antics that seem to teach a lesson, well, this man can, can, be, dramatic and, and can be dramatic as well. And... He says, I'll, I'm going to break this yoke, and that, that, will, that will send a message. And so in chapter 28, verse 11, he says, that, no, this is really what the Lord is saying. Just like this, even as I'm breaking the yoke that's on Jeremiah's neck and kicking him out of here, even so will I break within two full years the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of the nations. So, very bold thing. He's bought himself some time. <laughs> he can't be immediately, uh, you know, declared a false prophet. He's, he's bought himself some time to, and, and maybe, maybe this will come to pass and he can gain some traction and favor with the people. Um, well, it's, it's not to be so because the Lord has a response to this man. 
And all along, people, Psalm 2 would say, all along, people are trying to reject the Lord, cast off his yoke, say, we're not going to serve him, and we're certainly not going to serve the king of Babylon, right? And the one who sits in heaven just laughs, right? He just scoffs at him. You, you're rebelling against me? How can that be? Um, and you think you're getting rid of a yoke, but it's, it's much worse than you think. So the response to this is in verse 12 of chapter 28. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and um, Jeremiah is the one who's actually speaking for the Lord. Hananiah was speaking for himself and on these false hopes and wishes and, yes, platforms. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah had broken that yoke. And he says, all right, I'm sending you directly to that man, to Hananiah. Go speak to Hananiah, saying, thus says the Lord, you've broken yokes of wood. Yeah, very nice. But you've made instead of them yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord, this is what the Lord has really said. I have put a yoke of iron on the necks of these nations, that they may serve the Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. And I've also given him all the beasts of the field. It's total dominion. It's not going to be broken. It's, and there's no, there's no countering this. The only response is the simple instruction to choose willingly to serve. Well, um, we'll see much more about that as we go to chapter 21. You might want to say something before we leave this and in our very brief visit to this. So say what you think needs to be said, or else be turned into chapter 21. And so going back and forth, we're trying to track as, as best we can. Sometimes it's a little bit um, ambiguous, but try to track the, the progression of the message chronologically uh, to a certain extent. And um, it's, it's more of the same in chapter 21 the way of life, and the way of death. And the summary of this is, is very simple. By trust and obedience, you can secure life. But on the other hand, if you have this false hope that by resistance or just waiting them out or by outright rebelling, if you resist the word of the Lord, well, you've only secured death. And so we'll see that as we go through this. The word of the Lord has come again to Jeremiah. And the king has actually sent for him. It's like, I wonder what the Lord has to say. You probably should have had a pretty good idea. But um, in case you don't, the Lord is always willing to um, repeat his message um, while there's hope. And so in verse 2, the king is actually asking this favor of him. Please inquire of the Lord on our behalf. Because don't you see, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he's warring against us. And um, you might say, just as the Lord had said he would, but he's maybe a little bit oblivious to that. And what he has in mind is this, at the end of verse 2. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all of his wondrous acts that the enemy may withdraw from us. And so he's hoping that maybe something has changed and that there can be a positive message. He's used to positive messages. That's what all the other priests and prophets are going to give him, right? A message of peace. 
There's no, there's no trouble here. And, and this is a short-lived situation. Well, if he thought that he could face him or fight him or have any hope whatsoever, God says, no, the weapons that are in your hands right now, ready to face him, I'm actually going to use those against you. I'm turning them against you. And so if you have their weapons fighting against you and your own weapons fighting against you, what can you do? So, no, maybe the, the message just hasn't changed, has it? And you may recall from chapter 12, verse 2, they, the Lord is near to their lips, but far from their mind. The only time they're going to be reaching out to the Lord is in this time of trouble. We'll see that repeatedly. The, at other place, in other places, specifically Ezekiel, the Lord says, these are the people who have rejected me and ignored me and all these other things. Should I, should I even be consulted by them at all? And yet in his patience, he still sends Jeremiah and um, repeats the, the, the familiar words. But in spite of their rejection, they still have the nerve to ask and to reach out. See if Jeremiah is willing to entreat the Lord on their behalf. What I'm seeing in the first part of chapter 21 is that there's a really detailed and very credible sounding description of the destruction that's coming, of God's coming judgment, okay? And when you hear a description that is this detailed, this firm, and this sure sounding, I get the impression that the appropriate thing to do would be to take the warning. And on top of that, because the Lord is good and he's incredibly patient with these people, he's not only going to give them the warning, but he's going to give a perfect prescription for how to avoid this judgment. And so it is coming. And we'll see at the end of the chapter, the fire will burn. <laughs> The only question is whether or not we're going to take the appropriate steps to avoid it ourselves. And I suppose there are a lot of lessons in that for us. So a credible, detailed description about the king of Babylon coming and um, no, essentially there are no survivors. And they're, they're, the city is coming to a quick end. He will not spare them, nor will he have uh, compassion. And so we've, that we've seen before. But what is really, I think, what we would, should really notice here is what the Lord is willing to offer to the ones who would just respond. And so let's read uh, verses 8, maybe down through about verse 12. You shall also say to this people, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He does this for people, and he gives them the opportunity to choose what they would have for themselves. I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who dwells in this city will die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and falls away to the Chaldeans, this does not seem like the thing you should do, they're in the middle of this siege. He's going to live. 
you, you would say it's counterintuitive. You'd say this sounds like a bad plan. You'd say this sounds like the talk of a, a traitor and a de defector. But these are the words of the Lord. And he says, I've set my face against this city now for harm and not for good. It will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. So this fire's coming. And we said when the Lord is roaring like a forest fire, you can't get enough teams of firefighters to put it out. It, it, you'll be overrun. It, that's the picture here. So... Is there any hope for them? Well, yeah, it's still, there's still hope if they're willing to go out. And he requires something of their character, too, in verses 11 and 12. I just need you to turn. Say to the household of the king of Judah, hear the word of the Lord. Why won't you listen? Are you really going to choose to die when the Lord is still speaking to you and still trying to reach you? Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, verse 12, Administer justice every morning. Deliver the person who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor, that my wrath may not go forth like fire and burn with none to extinguish it. There's a way to avoid the disaster and a way to avoid the judgment. Um, but in verse 14, I will punish you according to the results of your deeds. That's the... Um, Summary of all of these things. These are very familiar words to, to students of the Old Testament, to anyone who knew the old law in Deuteronomy on more than one occasion. He's going to plead with the people. Look, I've set before you the way of life and the way of death. Um, I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I've set before you the way of life and the way of death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. And John has been angling for me to include this one in here for weeks now, and rightly so. The encouragement from Ezekiel showing that the Lord does not have any pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't, he's not interested in anybody dying over this. What he intends is for them to turn back. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil, evil ways. Why, why then will you die, O house of Israel? Who in their right mind chooses to die when they can choose uh, easily to live? Our own survival instincts kick in in many situations, and yet when it comes to the most desperate and most important situations, they can be totally non-functional if we let them. We're going on to chapter 37, unless you need to make some comments about this, what we've seen so far. <laughs> We're making a, an attempt to, be, to see seven chapters tonight, so we'll see how that goes. The problem in chapters 37 and then chapter 38 is that they keep getting false ideas of hope. Maybe we can get, see some other outcome. Maybe they, something good can come. 
Verses 1 through 3 recounts this uh, Zedekiah being made king. And you, again, you think, is it, is it too hopeful to think that this son of Josiah can follow in the footsteps of his father? You would, you would hope it, you would wish it, but in spite of this, they, they don't. And in spite of that, in spite of not listening, well, read verse 2 with me. He's become king, but neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord, which he spoke through Jeremiah, his prophet. But they have the unmitigated gall to come again to Jeremiah, and they've gotten what the word of the Lord is. Now they'll actually ask him to pray on their behalf. Don't you see the situation we're in? Will you pray for us in verses 3 and 4? Please, please pray to the Lord on our behalf and it points out in verse 4, ironically, this is still the time where Jeremiah is coming in and out among the people because they hadn't put him in prison yet. And so these are the people that are going to put him in prison. That's already their view of him, and they'd, they'd rather him be locked up and out of their sight. But if they can get favors, they still might come to him, see if he's uh, willing to pray for them. He's used for his prayer, and then he's abused and thrown into uh, prison here in, in, in a moment. The, the current glimmer of hope that the people are latching onto and clinging onto um, because the, I guess the destruction is just so unpleasant even to think that they're willing to latch onto anything that sounds like peace, peace, even if there is no peace. In, in, here in chapter 37, it's that Pharaoh's army can come. Now, the, the Egyptians, that's, that's absolutely a, a great army. Can we get Pharaoh to come to our aid? And in fact, he does. But the summary of all of these things, and we need to do this, is that Pharaoh's army simply can't save, and they put, the put their trust in the wrong place. But they're still clinging to a hope that they can avoid destruction, but also avoid this surrender. That's just entirely too unpleasant to even uh, to countenance that, that thought. But the Lord knows their thoughts. He knows what they have in mind. And so you need to say to Israel, he's sending his word. And it's very plain. Verse 7, that Pharaoh's army, which has come out for your assistance, the Lord has said, well, he's going to return to his own land, badly beaten. And the Chaldeans, well, they had come. Now they have, to, they have another enemy that's much more potent than you all. You've gotten a little relief because he's had to go away for a minute. He's coming right back. And so don't think that this is um, salvation for you. It's not. Pharaoh can't save you. They're returning to fight against the city. They will capture it and they will burn it with fire, he says in verse 8. Um, and so don't, in verse 9, don't. Deceive yourselves. And they're the perfect picture, obviously, you can see, of deception. They, anything that they can cling to that can cause them to think they can be saved. You're getting a breather. You're getting an opportunity to rethink your ways. Rethink whether or not you're going to fall in line with the Lord's instructions and act accordingly. And so that's how you need to treat it. <laughs> Don't treat it as um, salvation. 
verses 8 through 10, it's that you absolutely are not escaping. And he'll even go on to say, if you're, even, if you're hoping that Pharaoh can weaken Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to know that um, I can come back with Chaldeans, all of whom are injured, all of whom are nursing themselves in their own tents, and um, just a fraction of what they started out with, and I'm still taking this city. <laughs> With all of them. And there's nothing uh, to be done about it. Even if all he has left are the weak and the wounded. And so don't be deceived. The, the word hasn't changed. The only thing that can save them is their obedience. The only thing that can save them is their surrender. So I think we've seen that uh, sufficiently. Well... Jeremiah's words make enemies, as they have all along. And um, enemies make conspiracies. And anything that they can, any way that they can try to entrap him, they'll do that and maybe at least not have to listen to this anymore. It's such an unpleasant message. What can be done about getting this guy out of our hair? Well, they spot him at a certain place, and it's, it's a conspiracy. He's going, he's going over to the Babylonians. He says, it's a lie. I'm not, that's not what I'm doing. My, my place is here with the people <laughs> trying to reach you knuckleheads. And, um, but no, they're, they're going to uh, mistreat him, abuse him, throw him in prison, and um, becomes a, a dungeon for him for many days, it says. Well, King Zedekiah seems to like to hear from him from time to time. I don't know what he possibly thinks he can gain at this point, but he does. He calls him back out of this place, and Jeremiah does two things. One is he's going to say, you know, the city's, the city's going to be under siege. There's, it's a bad situation. Don't send me back to prison. Um, that's essentially ignored. But Zedekiah's question again, is, is, is there a word from the Lord? Yeah, there's a word from the Lord. <laughs> the same word from the Lord that it has been all along. Jeremiah said, there is. It's like, oh, good. No, not good. You'll be given into the hand of the king of Babylon. What did you think I was going to say? Hmm. And then Jeremiah, moreover, says in verse 18... In what way have I sinned against you or against your servants or against this people that you've put me in prison? I want to address this. What on earth did you hope to gain by throwing me in prison? You keep calling me out from time to time. Evidently, I'm worth something. Why am I in prison? It reminds me of Galatians 4, verse 16. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? What makes an enemy? What makes a person a good friend and a counselor? And what makes him an enemy? Isn't it not what, is it not what telling what's true um, whether or not it's pleasant or whether or not your companion wants to hear it, but he's being treated as the enemy of the state and, uh, and a traitor, and he's kept locked up for the rest of um, these days. Um, <clears throat> in coming into chapter 38, Jeremiah, it, I, you know... I said uh, a few weeks ago that God's patience is pretty great. And by comparison, I said there's probably, there probably comes a time if we're making an effort with anybody outside. I did not mean to say anybody on the inside. 
any one of our brothers that have gone away. But I would say anybody you've continued to try to make efforts with, at some point your, your efforts, well, it seems like you, you run out of, yeah, patience and ability to keep pursuing that. And maybe it's the case that you dust off your feet. Again, not, uh, this is not something I'm absolutely not addressing someone who was from the inside, um, in case that was maybe unclear last time we came around. But, you know, the Lord is much more patient, I think, than we are sometimes. And Jeremiah has become a man after God's own heart. He knows God's ways very deeply. We'll see that. And he, in spite of all of this mistreatment, as he continues to encounter these people, he's going to continue to plead with them, look, I wanted to be well with you. I wanted to go well with you. And the summary of this chapter is, please obey. Just please, will you not obey in what I'm saying to you? In, in your reading of chapter 38, I've got a question for you. Did you notice there were two pits? There's the, uh, the one Jeremiah's thrown in. You, you, you read that one. That was pretty plain. So two pits, two victims. Well, one of them, Jeremiah was a victim. The other one was maybe only a victim if you can say he was a victim of his own foolish actions. Look, pits of mud are bad news, and that's what Jeremiah finds himself in because of his unpopular message. Pits of mud are bad news, but the pits that are made of the consequences of our own actions, those are much worse. Much, much worse. And so here in the beginning of this, even in his arrest, anytime he has an opportunity to reach anybody and try to um, persuade the people, he's still staying with, the, st staying with God's words, repeating the same things. Even though they're unpatriotic, and that they point to that, and they're unpopular, they're discouraging the warriors. Well, what, are the, what hope do the warriors have? And so, again, unpatriotic, unpopular, and so they, they literally throw him into a pit, a miry pit, and he's sinking down into it. He can't move, and, I mean, this is, this is going to be the end before long. And the spineless king, Zedekiah, allows it. Um, because the Lord is with him, the Lord had promised to be with him, God reiterated his promises again and again saying, I'm going to be with you. You don't need to fear them. From the very beginning of his thing, God said, I can deliver you. And he, and he does through the hand of this man, Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian. He heard that they had put Jeremiah in the cistern and he seeks uh, approval of the king to come what are we doing here? Are we really throwing him in the pit to die? Can I come, can I take him out? They can't even find ropes, evidently, to bring him out because the city, I mean, if you're in wartime, every resource is taken. The only way they're able to get him out is by, you read, tying those rags together, essentially, and and Jeremiah's in bad shape, so they get him under, it's the Coast Guard rescue, get it under his ribs or something to get him out of there. Um, winch him out. The jeep is um, upside down and buried in the mud. But um, they and they do, and they they are able to uh, rescue him. So that's that's good so far. And after all of this, Zedekiah has let him go through all of that, and Zedekiah calls him again. I just I don't even know what to say about this anymore. I really don't. 
He sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance that's in the house of the Lord, as though he's in any mood to be entertaining this hard-headed king. Jeremiah said, well, he said, I'm going to ask you something. Don't hide anything from me. He's, he's all pure intentions. He's always ready to hear what the prophet has to say, right? I'm, don't hide anything from me. I, I want to hear everything that you have to say, good or bad or indifferent. And Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. If I tell you, will you not certainly put me to death? Besides, if I give you advice, you're not going to listen to me. You never have. And I'm not hopeful that you will. And even so... As Zedekiah swears to Jeremiah, no, 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 no. As the Lord lives, uh, I'm not putting you to death, and I'm not handing you over to those men again. Yeah, it's just my bad. <clears throat> well, Jeremiah says, okay, well, what is Jeremiah's, you tell me, what is Jeremiah's message to him going to be? What does the Lord have to say to him? <sighs> it's the same over again. And... It's the same in every age when the Lord has given his instructions. And uh, it's a simple message, and it doesn't change. And that's the message we have when we're in the, under the New Testament. God's message is very simple, and it doesn't change. And no matter how often we go back to it and try to find something different in it, it it's not so. If you will indeed go out to the officers of the king of Babylon, then you will live. And, and even as though I even have to state it, you know what's going to happen in, if you don't. But I'm even going to tell you that in my great patience. If you go out, you will live. The city can be spared and your household will survive. Okay, it's life. It's life and death, the way of life and the way of death. If you will not go out to the officers of the king of Babylon... Well, what about it? Then the city will be given over to the hand of the Chaldeans. They will burn it with fire, and you yourself will not escape uh, from their hand. Simple message. Um, you know, just trying to think why Zedekiah would come back to him. I guess if a person's situation is this desperate, again, they'll cling to any hope of, of salvation, even if it's perverted or twisted, it's not the full truth and nothing but the truth, they're willing to cling to almost anything um, while there is time and hope. But, you know, most of the time they're only really going to become willing to listen after um, that, that time has run out. But even then, even when they decide they're ready to listen, this pattern of behavior that's not going to respond to God's word is going to, you know, prevent them uh, from responding. And, and really, they've rendered themselves incapable of saving themselves uh, in, in their response to this. Well, uh, Zedekiah brings up a very, he, he brings up an objection. I just, he just can't stomach the idea of going out to the Chaldeans. And the main objection he has is that his brethren who have already gone over might mistreat him. And this sounds pretty thin compared to all of the other uh, messages that the Lord has given about how brutal this, the end is going to be when um, Nebuchadnezzar comes. You're telling me 
that your reason for not responding is that you'd rather face Nebuchadnezzar than your own people? There's just no reason in this anymore. And so I think what's going on here, and again, I think this is typical, even in our day and time, we'd rather avoid kind of like a temporary minor discomfort that would be involved in us changing our ways. We'd rather avoid that. Um, and, but what we choose instead is just outright destruction. It's a, it's a bad end, and you know it's a bad end. And I suppose we've all done it. We, um, and it's, so, it's, so it's very typical. We love being comfortable, but it prevents us from taking the uh, necessary steps to avoid a worse fate. But Jeremiah doesn't want this for them. And so then he says, don't think that way. They will not give you over. Please obey the Lord in what I'm saying to you. How does Jeremiah even still have a stake in this man and, and in these people? And yet he does. Please obey the Lord in what I'm saying to you, that, that it may go well with you and that you <clears throat> may live. Well, he, he knows that that's not how this will go. And so as we conclude chapter 38 um, and manage five of the seven tonight, um, Jeremiah identifies his real situation. He, he tells Zedekiah, you thought I was the one that had been stuck in a pit, hopeless, without any help? Look at um, verses, well, 20 and 20, uh, It's a bad end for all of the women as well, he says. And those women are going to be crying out on his behalf as well because he, they see Zedekiah's bad end. Your close friends have misled and overpowered you while your feet were sunk in the mire. They turned back. Jeremiah says, I was in a pit. It wasn't my own doing. But the, word, the words of the Lord got me stuck in a pit. I was rescued. Somebody rescued me. There's no one to rescue you in this pit that you're in. You're sunk in the mire. And all of the people that said, you're going to have peace. Don't worry. All of this is short-lived. And all the words that they've multiplied to deceive and confuse and to deny the word of the Lord... have left Zedekiah in the pit. And so, um, but, but, but your friends have, have abandoned you. That's what we had really read already in chapter 37, verse 19, where Jeremiah asks him, he says, what about those prophets that were prophesying to you that the king of Babylon wouldn't come? Are you, you're, you're not still calling for them to help you and to counsel you? It's like, you're calling for me, why? For the, for the real word of the Lord or what? Um, but yes, it's, it's pretty plain, the, the pit that they had, uh, they, they had made for themselves. What else do you want to say? We've got about a minute or two before we uh, need to button up. Yeah, Bruce wants to add something. <clears throat> this book of Jeremiah points out man's fallibility in understanding God and you you mentioned uh, you know we wonder how God could be long suffering with these people but yet today we do the same thing we have what God says right here 
<coughs> but we go and we say, well, ask God, can we do it another way? And so we have these false teachers or priests telling us that everything is good as long as you believe, as long as you uh, do this or you do that, and they never consult the scripture. And most of the people you talk to uh, who sit in denominations have no idea whether that's right or wrong because they're, they're content with what their false teachers say. Mm -hmm. But God is long-suffering and he still offers the choice between life and death, but we, we have something wrong in us, in our ears, that we prefer the tickling of the ears over truth. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, this is, this is too plain. This is too straightforward. And tell us something that makes it sound easy, sound appealing, not, let, not cause me to be uncomfortable in, in my change. I think you're right. Well, let's uh, make that the end of our time together. Thank you for listening and, 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 and making your efforts in the Word.